Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. My next guest is Michelle Shepard. She's returning to Face to Face Live to talk to me about her new film, The Way Out. She was, believe it or not, a guest a couple of years ago talking about a film called Guantanamo's Child. And Michelle is the national security correspondent for Toronto Star. She's also a filmmaker, and she's uh, we, we we had a great time chatting about her new film. Her film is is uh, it, you know what? It's a story about the love between a mother. Uh, and her daughter, or a love of of a mother for her daughter, something that I think uh, many of us can absolutely uh, relate to on so many levels. Quote, lured by a toxic mix of propaganda showing images of the victims of war and horrific cruelty, alongside recruitment pitches with kittens and winking emojis, more than 100 Canadians have left home to join the war in Syria to become members of ISIS. Close quote. We talk about uh, Islamophobia. We talk about uh, a daughter who's struggling with ideas identity issues and why would people want to go in the first place why would a canadian teenager uh, be be compelled to to leave canada and to go and fight alongside uh, isis we talk about tolerance and 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 about why Michelle has so many questions. We talk about this decade of fear in her uh, book uh, by the same name and why uh, sometimes it's it's easier when we know less. You're going to have to listen in to find out why that's a factor. Um, coming right up, uh, Michelle Shepard and her film, The Way Out. Don't forget face-to-face-live.ca for more interviews there. You can uh, check. Uh, I think we're coming up on 360 or so interviews. And if you'd like to get behind the work that I'm doing here on Face to Face Live, you can do that through patreon.com. Coming right up, Michelle Shepard and her new film, The Way Out. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We're joined by a, a returning very special guest with us here today. Michelle Shepard is here to talk about her new film, uh, The Way Out. Uh, Michelle, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. So, yes, returning guest, and we sort of, just before we hit record, we decided it's about two and a half years, which just blows my mind. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> it seems like it's been uh, not that long, but yeah, it was, I guess, when the uh, Omar Khadr film came out that we last spoke, and that would have been 2015. And I think we we should probably just do a quick sort of um, flu-like shout-out to our listeners. I think both Michelle and I are suffering from <laughs> some kind of a cold or a cough, so be warned. Buckle up, folks. It uh, could be coming like a freight train. Um, so you've been busy since since uh, in in the last two and a half years can you can you tell us maybe a little bit about that but 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 in particular uh, a little bit about this new film which by the way is uh, living on, on cbc.ca uh, docs pov the way out yeah tell tell us a little bit about the story well sure i mean i, I i'm a journalist at the toronto star and continue with my beat um my national security beat which since i've been doing since 9-11 and i think every year say I'm going to call it quit, right. <laughs> and then just and then just keep going. Um, I was on a, a fellowship, actually, the Atkinson Fellowship, when when we started this documentary, and I'd had a year off to look into uh, it was a, a series that I called Generation 9/11, and what I was looking into and doing research on was were the Western um, members of ISIS, okay. and trying to look at both you know why people went, what's their recruiting forces were, but also what governments were doing mm. for those who were coming back and any sort of policies. And right. this has kind of been a, a theme that's run through a lot of my reporting over the years that, you know, reporting on terrorism uh, when an event happens is, is simple enough. But what's always fascinating me is, is why do these events happen? And how can we stop, which seems to be sort of a, a force that, that keeps going generation after generation? So it was during this time that uh, filmmaker um, David York and Bryn Hughes approached me about looking into a, a documentary about somebody who would return to Canada. Mm. And, and this is a term that governments use. They're, they're called the returnees, which means somebody who's gone off, um, a citizen who has gone off to Syria and Iraq to join, uh, to join ISIS and then has decided for whatever reason to come back to Canada. And, you know, it's interesting, David, I've done a lot of reporting around the world, talked to many uh, former members of groups, uh, you know, in Somalia and Tunisia and Pakistan and elsewhere. Canada tends to be the hardest place to get anybody to talk. Is that and, right? and that's for a variety of reasons. But, but we spent some time trying to find uh, somebody who was willing to participate. And uh, I have a contact of mine, uh, Hisham Tuflati, who's a Montreal researcher, amazing in this field. And he knew of a mom whose daughter had left to join ISIS in uh, November of 2015. And right. she she went over and this poor mom was kind of desperate to try and bring her back. So over a series of meetings, over a number of weeks, spoke with her. Um, we've called her Saida in the film. And she agreed to let us uh, accompany her on her journey to try and get her daughter back. Yeah, I mean, I, as a as a parent, I, I I mean, there were moments in the film where the the news that she's getting through text and through others, through people. I mean, there's just so many things that bubble to the surface for me. So many emotions. You know, you can't. I mean, for me, this is a. Of course, it's a story about terrorism. It's a story about you know national security and 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 all those kinds of things. But it's also just about a mom. Who, who who loves her daughter and wants her back. You know, I'm, I'm really happy to hear you say that because I, I, that's ultimately what we were going for. We were trying to tell a very you know, human, personal story 
well, that isn't, people could Michelle, isn't relate the, to. Isn't, well, isn't the opening line after your very disturbing establishing shots, by the way, um, something like, Mama, I've left? And it, isn't that... That's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's how she found out. So it was... Mm. You know, people have said since the film has come out, surely she knew, surely she knew right, that her daughter right. was up to something. She really didn't. And, I mean, we spent a lot of time with her. And she's, she's, a, she's a wonderful woman. She's incredibly strong. She's not naive. She knew her daughter was going through some changes, right. and in hindsight, she certainly now um, saw what might have been some warning signs. But her daughter, you know, was was a eighteen turning nineteen year old woman um, in university, and she had told her that she was going to stay at a, a friend's house for a, what was a birthday party overnight. And and actually, Saida had said, "No, no, I'll come, I'll come pick you up." Uh, and her daughter convinced her that she would stay. And she couldn't reach her for a day and a half, and then she got this awful mm-hmm. text that said, you know, I've, I've gone to uh, join this group. And she was absolutely shocked. And it's hard, obviously, for, for any of us to relate to what that experience yeah. would be. But it was, a, it was a really, it's a really, for the handful of families who have gone through this in Canada, and, and, you know, luckily in Canada it's only been about, probably about 100 in Europe, certainly the problem has been greater, and in the Middle East as well. And about um, twenty, and about twenty from Montreal. I think you bring about up twenty film. from Montreal, right. and a lot of and a lot of women from Montreal actually, which is interesting. But it's a really lonely plight because you can imagine this isn't something you're going to share right away with coworkers, right. or friends, or family, and sh- because you know you're going to be immediately stigmatized. Of course, by the daughter that went over to Syria. I mean, it's it's. So she was she was really at her wit's end by the time we met her. Doesn't she say at one point, um, or you you I think bring out in the film about you know the the phrase typical Montreal uh, typical Montreal teen I believe, but but mom says something to the effect everything was going well for her or at least as as far as she could tell, and yet it she could tell it yeah. was yeah yeah I, yeah I mean she you know as I said there were a few clues in in hindsight um, right yeah. She had, and she had one sort of alarming incident that, that she talks about in the film where her daughter um, was actually at a bus stop, and she was coming out of, Sadie was coming out of work, and we call her daughter in the film Amina. And she sees Amina at the bus stop, and she's wearing a shador. She's, she's completely covered. Um, she's got her hair covered. She's in this long uh, cloak that is you know, fairly um, typical uh, traditional Islamic wear. But that's not the way she dressed, and her mother right. just recognized her from from, a, from just her glasses, actually, and and she was in shock. She said, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" And actually ordered her to go home and change. Which you know, when we heard that story, it, it sounded the reverse of such you know what you hear as a stereotypical teenage story that your teenage daughter goes off to high school wearing you know a baggy sweatshirt and, right. and track pants, and then you see her in a tube top. Um, it was sort of the opposite of that, and, but she was so alarmed. I mean, she, she, it's a Muslim. She's a single mom in a, a Muslim family. They're not particularly devout. She was just so alarmed because she'd never, she'd never seen this before, and her daughter hadn't talked about it. Talked about it. So clearly, she was then covering up after she left the home, and she tried to talk to her daughter about that, and um, she she didn't want to engage. Mm. So so in hindsight, that was that so was the sh- thing that she, the she shift had already the shift had already occurred. Something had happened. Something I mean, had happened. The, the, at that time, it was a really interesting time in Montreal, though, because there had been a, um, 
the legislation that was coming forward, put forward to ban any religious symbols in public. And that was seen as sort of an Islamophobic right. legislation because it was really meant to ban the hijab and it was, it was intended towards Muslims. So there actually was sort of a political movement a young mo- among young people and a lot of women mm. at the time who started donning the hijab for the first time. And not necessarily because of a religious symbol, but right. actually as a political symbol. Yeah, pushing so back. So I think, yeah, pushing back. So, and that was, at that time, that was when many of the Montreal women actually left Canada. So that's been, that's been definitely linked to one of the recruiting factors for this group. It's pr- pretty, pretty interesting. And one, one of the things I'm fascinated by working in the field and, and, you know, doing these interviews and watching so many different doc films about, you know, so many different places and so many different people and communities and so on is this, this, I don't know, why are we so divisive, this us and them thing? It's, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we, we, we need to bring you guys onto our side of the fence because our side of the fence is way better than yours. I mean, it's such a massive oversimplification. But, you know, that, that, that and, and the radicalization that occurs in a very, in, in, I would think, Michelle, in various forms, and for, for Amina, it was through, by the sounds of it, news, footage, video, mm-hmm. And so on, but yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on some of that. Having been, I love the way I love the fact that you are on the national security beat. By the way, I just love that phrase. The phrase, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a a funny title. We we I think when we started it way back after nine eleven, we didn't know what to call it, but yeah, certainly. It's and do you, and do you have your own bulletproof vest? <laughs> it does make you sound like you should have a cape or something. <laughs> That's um, right. Well. We have we have bulletproof vests that we use when we go into and the and, field, and let me guess yeah, a license to kill so. a license to kill <laughs> no definitely not no. but okay. um, but uh, we we um yeah it's, I mean I've been really lucky to have this I have to say that it's it's it perhaps it is a bit of a dorky title that no we it's use. very cool <laughs> and I and I love but you have insight into this stuff that that I would think very few have well it's I, I have been really really fortunate because. You know, it's interesting that you say that that you also have that insight having traveled. And I've been lucky at the start in some ways because, while it's Canada's biggest newspaper, it's it's not as big as some of the American or or British papers where beats are very segregated. So you're either the Washington or New York reporter or you're the African bureau chief. And my beat's been this strange hybrid that I've always been based in Toronto but been part of the foreign team. So I've been able to tailor my travel specific to my, my beat. So it's not one region. So I would never purport to know about Africa, the continent, but I definitely know more about Somalia than right. most people. Or I know more about Yemen or Pakistan or, the, or Guantanamo or the certain places that I've been. But also that, that travel and being able, foreign travel, but being able to return again to, to Toronto or you know, to Washington or London or where a lot of these national security policies are devised, really gives you great perspective mm-hmm. because you you understand you know you understand what it's like in the field and what what recruiting really means on the ground when you're an impoverished citizen of Mogadishu and you join Shabab. It doesn't mean necessarily that you subscribe to Al Qaeda's ideology. It means that some group came and gave you a cell phone and a paycheck. Well, um, and there's and there's and as simple as that sounds, there's a complexity to these things that that I yeah. think it's pretty easy to forget when you're reading the newspaper on a Saturday morning. It's hard. I mean, there's only so much. You know, that, that's why I really love um, films because you can, right, right. with the documentaries, have been able to di- you know delve into so much more. It, it's hard. 
you have certain restrictions, even in you know long form journalism. There's only so much you can you can tell. But but when it comes back to the, this film, yeah, and back Amina, to the us and them and the and the and the what pulled yeah, her in that radicalization. It is hard. I mean, it's almost straightforward when, you know, the example I gave about Shabab, you do understand that kind of local recruitment in an environment where sometimes kids have no other choice and they become part of a group. But you do wonder, you know, here's this this woman who, a teenage woman who's in a, a great home and she seems to have everything going for her. Why? Why do you yep. give up everything and go? And, and that's, you know, a question that remains unanswered today. But but I think it's an important one because it speaks to so many different issues. And in Amina's case, we don't really know. I mean, the story, the documentary that we did was about the mom and the mom's journey to get her out. And I don't think Amina's story has been told yet. Right. So from the mom's perspective, what she saw was um, her daughter struggling with identity issues. Sure. Yep. Uh, she's born in Canada, Canadian citizen, but in Montreal she was, sort of forced to declare, was she, you know, Canadian? Was she of her, you know, Moroccan heritage of her mother? Was she Muslim? And and she struggled with Islamophobia. And then what her mother said, she, as you mentioned earlier, she watched sort of this endless footage of the war in Syria. And for, I think, a lot of, especially the women researchers have shown, um, they were at the beginning drawn towards, the war in sort of a humanitarian mm, way. I mean, completely mm. warped sense joining right. horrible terrorist group to do it. But what drove them was were the atrocities that the Assad regime was committing on its own people. Didn't um, didn't didn't she actually the mom say something about she she always talked about the children? She talked right. So she would watch this footage, and I mean the 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 crimes that the Assad regime was committing on its own people were. If you've ever watched that footage, and unfortunately I've watched a lot of it, mm, it's, it's horrendous. It's it's absolutely horrendous. It's it's state terrorism, and it is enraging. I guess the thing that's still hard for people to understand, and myself included, is, but you also see the horrendous videos of ISIS, right? <laughs> and sure. by that time, we knew what that group was doing too, um, and and that's what's that's what's hard to get your your head around. But as you said, I mean, it's very, it's, it's complex. All these cases are incredibly complex. And, and in this film, we, we were really focusing on this poor mom who's left with, oh, my God, what has my daughter done? What is my... And she's made a mistake, but I still love her, and she's my of daughter. Course, of course, of course, which you end so beautifully, by the way, in the, in, in the film with, you know, I mean, I love the way you start with her talking out about how she smells her clothes and to, re- to remember her daughter, and then we, we see her, the film sort of ends with her folding baby's clothes. I mean, it's... Yeah, right, it's, yeah, yeah we, haven't, it's, we haven't said that, but it's, it's, well, it comes across in the film, but she, so she, she went over and she actually was married to a German convert, which, which happens to a lot of the foreign women who come over. They go into these houses for women, and then the, the men come in and select their bride, and somehow she got matched up with this, um, this man from Germany, and they actually had a baby there. Uh, and when Amina ended up escaping and surrendering to the Kurdish forces in Syria, she was eight months pregnant. And she's, she's actually still in custody in uh, Syria, and she had her second baby. So, so yes, the, the mom is not just waiting for her to come home, but she has two baby two, granddaughters. Two that she granddaughters as well. So she separate, separated from her husband. 
So she did. I mean, and then that's sort of the intricate part of the film that the mom had to convince her husband, her daughter's husband, actually, to let her go because part of the problem over the years was that the mom felt the husband was really controlling her. Right. Often when she would communicate, she wouldn't know if it was the daughter or if it was so bizarre. Yeah, it was heartbreaking because she, you know, she doesn't she doesn't know who she's talking with, and all the time the mom is you know talking to the RCMP and CSIS and. She she never did anything that she worried would get her in trouble. I mean, her she was always above board and right. keeping authorities uh, in the loop. Um, but so basically, she she devised a plan to to convince the husband to let the daughter go, but not really telling the husband the whole plan, right. which was that you know there's a good chance that her daughter might be arrested when she comes back to Canada. She could and she could go to jail. Um, so she kind of duped the husband in a way, deceived him. But she knew that obviously she wasn't going to get try and help the husband. She was only trying to help the daughter, so she knew she had to get them apart. So eventually she managed to convince him to let her go. And so her pregnant daughter with the little two-year-old then was accompanied by a Syrian militia that's uh, with aligned with the coalition forces, and they managed to uh, get her out and surrender to the Kurdish forces who are aligned with um, it, it, coalition. It yeah. just, it, as, as I'm listening, I mean, I've seen the film and as I'm listening to you and I've, you know, I, it just, it, it, insane and crazy. I mean, they uh, don't really have words to properly describe it. You know, it's to, kind to, of surreal. To, yeah. yeah, it's surreal to meaningfully describe it. It's it, you know, to say that it looks like a film is it, or sounds like a film. It is a film, but it, to say that it's a, you know, it's it sounds like a Michael Bay film. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's disrespectful almost in a way. Well, you know, it's, it's almost. I mean, it's better as a documentary than a film. Yeah, it's sort of one of those you don't you wouldn't believe it if it was drama. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing to think that you know, and this is not necessarily, of course, it's unique the scenario, but. There are a lot of Canadians that have dealt with bizarre issues like this, yeah. but but to think of this Montreal mom sort of going through this and um, and you know the story's not done. The documentary right. was really meant to be. Um, we had hoped, you know, David and I had hoped that it was sort of a jumping off point and to to pri- try and really humanize the issue and mm. bring some perspective. But it's going to be a contentious debate in Canada and. I think it already has sparked some debate. Right? Is she is, is is she a criminal when she comes back, or what? Right, and we'll see. I mean, those are those are hard hard questions, and she's she's not back yet. Um, I actually just did a story last weekend after the documentary that um, about her the camp where she's being held, and found out that there's another Canadian woman there with her children. So we know of at least two who were formerly, in some way, aligned with with ISIS who may come back. And Canada really, I mean, these are, these are tough political questions. Nobody wants to deal with them. The Liberal government doesn't want to deal with them because it's kind of no win for them in some right, ways. Right. Um, but because of that, there's not there's not really solid plans in place. And and there should be because we're, we're going to have some cases. We already have some cases. And really the ultimate goal should be, you know, beyond the politics of it. Okay, what's the best, what's the best way to provide, to make sure, obviously, Canada is secure, that these people don't pose a risk. But what can we learn from them? What can... Yeah, yeah. And how do you, as I said at the beginning, you know, how do you stop that next generation? And how do you... Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's not only... Uh, and you bring out uh, the... the um, 
I guess the academic from Montreal, is it Hishan, uh, who's, study, Hishan, who's, who's yeah. studying radicalization yeah. now? I mean, I guess 15 or 20 years ago, that probably wasn't a topic to study, maybe. No, or not. it's a huge. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, Hishan was actually ahead of the curve because he, he had been looking, his PhD was into issues of um, Muslims living in the West and right. issues of identity. And then that kind of led to a subsect of looking into radicalization. But since in recent days, that's become sort of a, multi-million dollar industry. Mm. Uh, they call it, you know, CDE for countering violent extremism. Right, of and course, of course. There's a lot of, there's actually now, there is a lot of good research into it. There's been enough cases and there's some really smart academics. I think the problem is that doesn't always, that smart research doesn't always translate well, into it, government policy. It doesn't and it takes time, right? And it take it can take years to sort of filter down into you know, uh, the other, other arts and into other, uh, and into politics and, and the, uh, the well, humanities. Well, it does, but there's just that fear factor. Yeah, that, so much, so much fear. Of, yeah, if you, if you try and suggest anything other than locking someone up and throwing away the key, which we don't do in Canada, then, you know, governments are going to be accused of being soft on terror. So I'm, It's I'm, very, you know one or the other, and, it, and it, this problem can't be dealt with only... Well, this is, you know, it's one or the other. Isn't that interesting? You know, it's we, we love to polarize, right? We love to, yeah. we love to you know, to simplify, I suppose. I'm reading a book on re- religion right now by Greg Paul. It's called Re- Resurrecting Religion, and he makes a distinction between true and, and bad religion. Do, do you mm. think that, and I think it's a pretty interesting conversation to have, do you think that any of this really has anything to do you know, you've been st- you've been on the beat, the national security beat mm-hmm. since nine eleven. I mean, is this religious or is it is it power? Is it oppression? Is it is it is it all <laughs> of the above? I know. Yeah. And can um, you answer that in like under two minutes, yeah, Michelle? <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm maybe not the best person, but I mean, my my simple answer is that you know, yes and no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fundamentally, the cases I've looked at when we're talking about the the Western recruits and and that issue is is no that usually those who go over are not driven by any kind of ideology, religious ideology, that maybe comes in later right. as some sort of higher justification for the action. But um but but certainly there is a there is a religious element in the way that it you know is sure. is used by these groups to try and justify it, um, as other religions in the past have <laughs> used religion as a weapon. Um but fundamentally I think you know, I, I hate those seeing that kind of debate when. But I, I'd love to read the book you're talking about because um, that kind of that kind of title is, is very interesting to me. It, it doesn't to me seem to be one of the driving factors. What about the other thing that really struck me in this film as well? Many things actually, and it's such a short film. So, and by the way, congratulations! I, I didn't say <laughs> that right out of the gate, but you know, the trust. Thank you. It's a group effort on this one. It was a tough one, so. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Group effort, right? <laughs> Understatement of the year. Um, the trust issues, you know, um, the the trauma and the PTSD, and just the, the 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 impact when you see those just these devastating photos of Raqqa, and and I've seen some of the other photos of Aleppo and other places, and it's just I haven't seen anywhere near the footage, and and and, and you've 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 been in in country, so I just and I'm not even talking about your tra- traumatic experience of PTSD, but just the the impact of this. I've, I've spoken to a psychologist, Karen Doherty in Toronto about transgenerational trauma. What are the, oh, you know, yeah. the impacts of this long term? And, and I'm also fascinated by 
by uh, Cambodia and the Khmer Rouge, and I, I do a lot of work in the country, mm-hmm. and I look at that and how 45 years later, the, the, I mean, they're not even close in some respects to coming out of that, 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 yeah. that, that dealing with that, uh, that trauma. Anyway, not, not really well, a question there. It's just more of a, I guess, well, an observation. Well, the statement I agree with, I mean, you look at poor Syria, I mean, it's a generation that is absolutely traumatized. And I, I remember at the start of the, the conflict, um, to the end thing, actually, my, the country that I covered was Yemen. Hmm. I'd been there at the beginning, but we did a little bit with Syria um, in 2012, the story with some uh, videographer, Randy, who's an star and we went over and we, we spent some time in a school with Syrian children who had refugee children. This is January 2012. And, you know, the, the war was barely underway at that point, although many horrible things had happened. And these kids were so incredibly traumatized. And the, I just remember looking at their art and what they were drawing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 11, 12, 13. And I think about a lot them a lot today, and I think where are, where are they, mm. and where are all the kids that followed, and and I've seen this in Somalia as well. It's you know things like PTSD and and mental illness. They're just not discussed because luxury is the wrong word, but I can't think of another one. But it's it's almost a a luxury in developed worlds to be able to get help for that. But in conflict zones, it's about survival. So. You know, mental tra- mental illness and, and trauma, and it's it's something you can't deal with at the time, but it's certainly going to come as the war hopefully winds down. And yeah, it's amazing what people have been through and and what they've seen. I know even for you know our, our editor who's going through footage that we're using for this and watching hours of it was really tough on him. Oh, so I bet. Can, yeah, you can only imagine, you know what what it's like for people who have had to live that for years. Yeah, there's, there is no universe where any of this should ever be normalized. No. I agree. <laughs> the, um, the, the way you end the film is, uh, you know, with, with the mother folding the clothes and, and, and talking about basically what, what could be next. That You know, she's clearly dealt with just so much uncertainty for how many years now? About three and a half years, you know, from okay. her daughter leaving, still isn't home. And now her, you know, what, what, what's going to happen now when she comes back? You know, she'll be, again, she'll be, she, will, will she be sort of uh, uh, excluded because of, of, of her experience? But more importantly, will she be, will she be jailed in the line about condemning three people? Because she's got two, I mean, it's just chilling. Yeah, we don't know what will happen. I mean, there's, um, you know, there's a good chance she could, she could face criminal charges. She could also face a peace bond, which will restrict her movements, or or they might not. They might just allow her to come back, and hopefully she'd be into some programs that will help her reintegrate. Right. right. Um, you know, at the very least, I'm certain that Jesus and the RCMP will want to debrief her and, and question oh, her yeah, I would imagine. extensively for yeah. what she's been through. Yeah, but it's, but it's hard. I mean, it's, it's, the laws in Canada have, have toughened a little bit, in terms of um, t- terrorism offenses, but it's it's actually from from what I've been told from lawyers, it, it's not enough to leave Canada and join a terrorist group. You have to actually prove more than that. You have to prove that you went uh, to further the the aims of the group. Mm. And from what we don't know, what the RCMP and CIS might have um, that we haven't seen, or the mom doesn't know. 
but everything that we know about Amina and, and that the police has actually disclosed to the mom seemed to indicate that she was incredibly naive, mm. incredibly going over, and within a week of getting there, realized she'd made a mistake. She, she'd made a mistake, yeah. And then became trapped, and then, you know, was nothing more than, than a wife and a mom. But we don't know. I mean, and maybe that will be, and maybe that'll be enough to to have some sort of charges. And, and and are you hoping to to sort of be be involved in continuing the story? Is that is that is that a plan, or can you even talk about that at this point? Yeah, well, we don't know. I mean, I can talk about it, but we're not we're not sure. Um, the the really, I mean, this was a really difficult documentary to make on a lot of fronts, and, and probably <laughs> the most important being that you know we don't identify. Saida in the film, and we haven't identified Amina. And of course, if she gets charged, then her identity becomes public, and then it'll become a news story. Uh, but Amina doesn't know that we've made this documentary. She right, of course her, not. Her mom has never told her. So yes, there could be a follow up if she, you know, be fascinating. I certainly would like to hear her story and, and what she's been through. Yeah, for sure. But but I'm not sure. I mean, the, our intention was, as I said earlier, just to be this sort of this is a, a snapshot on a very personal story about a mom that speaks to a much larger issue, and we just hoped that we would bring some perspective to the issue and and some. Well, you've certainly done that, and I, I just <laughs> I loved I love the insight on you know, and and this is why I love uh, a I love doing the interviews and with people like yourself, and and but also about film. It's just so layered. My favorite, I mean, can I say my favorite moment in the film is. Is the line you know uh, where somebody says we're ninety nine percent sure they're caught in a sandstorm? I don't know if that was intentional or not. I mean, everything's intentional, it seems to me. But the the, the, the nothing was intended. Everything happened. I mean, the sandstorm, you know, is part of the narrative. But what a beautiful metaphor! What what a complete disaster all of this is. You know, I was in a sandstorm yeah. once in Ulan Bator in Mongolia, and and it's nasty and and difficult, and wow. you can't see. You basically, I mean, you can't see. You you're blinded, and the, I mean, it's just such a beautiful metaphor for for everything that's wrong with this. You know. Yeah, it was. It was a, that was when she was trying to to surrender and get out, and it was an unexpected turn. But yeah, you're right. It was a bit of a metaphor at that it's point. Just, it's, yeah, it's re- yeah. remarkable. So I get, we're gonna wrap it up here in a couple of minutes. But I'd love to ask you just a, another another question or two, if you don't mind. What about what about? I mean, so you've been doing this a long time. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to just have an interview with you about lessons learned. I hope you're, I hope you're writing that book and maybe you've already, you've, I'm sure you've done that already in your writing and so on. And in your film, I guess you're, you're, you're working that out of your system, I suppose, in, in your own creative artistic way. But what about your own, you know, sense of the other? What about your, your the, 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 I mean, I'm watching this film and the fear of, you know, of, of just even putting yourself into these environments, What's what's the driving factor for you? Is it the well, truth? See, you just know? have so many questions. You know, yeah, I think, I'm with you I there. Think, yeah, I wish. You know, I wish I I joked earlier, but I, I'm serious about you know keeping thinking. I'll you know move on to another beat. But at uh, I think ten years after, ten years after nine eleven, um, which I which I covered, uh, which was through the start of this, uh, I wrote a book called Decade of Fear, and the idea I think that was the time when I thought, okay, you know. We'll look, we'll look at this interesting decade and the title meaning, you know, it fear drives so much of what's happened mm-hmm. and, and everything we've talked about earlier about the cyclical nature. Um, and I was, I was right when I was publishing that, uh, 
Bin Laden was killed, and then the Arab Spring happened. Mm. And and I, th- I thought it would be a great poem to end. And then ISIS came. <laughs> right, right. And so they got drawn back into it. Uh, and so the problem is, in some ways, the more you, you figure out, the more questions you have. Right. And in a, in a perverse way, it actually makes the reporting more difficult. It, it, sometimes I think it's easier when you know less because you can write the <laughs> black and white stories in a way that you don't know any differently. Um, so I, I just think it's just, just you know questions that keep driving me forward. And um, now you're sounding and like a, now you're sounding like a philosopher. I love it. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> uh, but I also love the I, I love what else I do. To be I, honest, so. I, I love for me the soundbite so far is sometimes it's easier when you know less because I think you're absolutely right. I mean I think that's for me a lesson to, to you know coming out of out of this film and this conversation and just the, this. This is a complex, you know, beautiful, crazy, tragic world we live in, and 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 isn't it about asking better questions to get to a place where where we don't wind up in these situations? Hopefully, a hundred years from now or fifty years from. Am I being too idealistic? Uh well, I, I think I ended my book saying that uh, I was a uh, now I can't remember the term, but something a, an idealist, a cynical idealist, right, or something. But, right. Right. But yeah, I mean, no, I think I think it's it's important to be idealistic and uh, but with eyes open. <laughs> but with eyes wide open. Well, thank yeah. you for you know opening my eyes even wider uh, on <laughs> this conversation and this film. We've been talking with Michelle Shepard and uh, about her new film, The Way Out. It's as uh, available, uh, I believe. Uh, help me out here, Michelle. But it's on CBC.ca. Uh, P, uh, docs. Oh, that's POV. right. It's POV Docs, and, and uh, it can. It's still in Canada. You can. You can stream it. And probably will be there for some time. So, uh, thank. Thanks so much for your uh, time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thanks for your questions. <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.